Hello everyone, Matthew here. Just wanted to take a moment to let you know that this episode was actually recorded a little while back uh, before we recorded some of the previous episodes. So some of the things we talk about in the news and the like are going to be a little outdated. We've already mentioned them in more detail. Uh, just bear with us. It's still a fine conversation to have. Uh, so uh, just sit back, relax, and enjoy your episode. Polyhedron is a production of Headcanon Games, LLC. Please bookmark Headcanon Games for the latest in Polyhedron news. Polyhedron is sponsored by listeners like yourself. If you'd like to become a patron of Polyhedron, please go to patreon.com polyhedron. Now on with your show. Hello and welcome to Polyhedron, your multifaceted podcast for everything RPG related. I am your host Matthew, and as always, is my two co-hosts Ryan and Scott. Say hello, fellas. Hey, buddy. Hey, hey what's up? So, how is everyone doing? Uh, you know, doing all right. Uh, getting ready to spend a decent amount of money on tool tickets. Excellent. <laughs> that sounds yeah. like a fantastic time. Yeah. It will be a fantastic time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they, I've seen them a couple times. They're a wonderful, wonderful show and a wonderful band. I, I will, yeah. This will be my very first rock concert of any sort of kind. It's going to be fantastic. Aww. Yeah, that is deeply shameful. Yeah, it's deeply shameful, and uh, you, you really need to have done this so, before someone, now. Someone screwed you up, man. Yeah, well, it just, I never had, other than Rush late in high school, I never had a band that I, like, was, like, 100% behind. Oh, well, I mean, that's okay. You're just not that into music, and you don't really have a soul, so, you know. It happens. It's understandable. That's why I run a podcast. Matthew likes music. We know people who don't, quote-unquote, like music, and they, in fact, don't have souls. That's true. That's true. Uh, I I like music. I just have an extremely varied taste at any given time. So, uh, well, you can't go wrong with Tool. They're they're essentially one of the best bands in the world. Yeah, my um, brother got me into Tool when he was in high school, and then I grew up in high school with it as well. Everyone got into Tool when they were in high school. That's <laughs> about the time for it. Like you don't yeah. you don't usually come to Tool like at thirty three. Okay, like. <laughs> You usually figure, because, you know, one thing they do pretty well is be really, really angry about stuff. Yeah, well, that was the 90s. (laughs) Yeah. Everyone was really, really angry about everything. Well, Tool is a wonderful thing to to listen to while you're you're doing RPG and... But I used to World of Warcraft, too. Yeah, it's good shit. Well, uh, for all our listeners, um, I'm just getting over getting sick, so if you hear me cough or... Scott's wife sneeze in the background. Like, comment, and subscribe. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> and we're off to a good start. Indeed. Speaking right. of starts. Yeah, what's up in the news, guys? News, news. Well, um, my big news is Fallout 4 came out, and that's a hell of an RPG. Uh, Bethesda did a terrific job in bringing a post-apocalyptic 1950s retro science fiction game to life like they always do. Um, I'm sure I'll play it eventually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, I just I'm, don't I, care. I might. It's Fallout, while I, I understand it and I appreciate you know what they're going for, it, none of the games have ever grabbed me. Um, I've heard that uh, Fallout 4 is a lot more Mass Effect than it is Skyrim, uh, if that makes any sense. Yes, um, oh, I'm sure anyone listening to this will understand that. Yeah, it's it's the dialogue options are a lot cleaner and smoother, which is not necessarily a bad thing. But for diehards, people who are really like Fallout Three and New Vegas, they may not like it as much because there's less control over what you're saying and but how see, you I say didn't it. Say that wheel from Mass Effect. Yep. Yeah, like <laughs> we don't have time for this equal shoot guy in forehead. That's you know. Yeah, it's it's it's. Faster and more elegant, so there's a lot more, like, you can get through things a lot quicker, but there's not as much nuance to it. But well, it's still heard, a massive uh, game with a lot of options. Well, I heard that uh, that it's probably going to hurt replay value, um, because, you know, it's it's telling a very, it's telling a very, very, much more constricted story. You know, when you have a voice protagonist, uh, and, you know, you... you, you and you have to sort of constrain yourself to the various dialogue options that were recorded by the voice actor. 
you can't cram it full of like you know nuanced responses and and really take the time to craft your character. I mean, you, you have like two or three kind of personalities uh, that that follow essentially the same character and story track, um, as opposed to games like you know Fallout Three and Skyrim, where you Inquisition know had that same problem. I mean, yeah. Um, replayability on that game is like it could be better. He yeah, said not, after playing 160. That's hours, because that's because times. that game is too damn big. There's so much to read and so yeah. much to kind of like dive into. I don't know. If I get one more damn codex entry, yeah. I'm going to hang myself. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I love Inquisition. I thought Inquisition was a fantastic game. Um, but the replay value is, I mean, I started up my second playthrough and you know, I got up to you know, a couple hours worth of gameplay and I, I when I got that big open world map, I'm all like Son of a bitch, I have done all of this. Yep. For me, (laughs) I did a lot more... I was a little more restrictive, but I still killed all the big dragons, and I did did all the major quest chains, but then I started a new mage, and I was just like, after a couple hours, kind of like Scott, I was just like, I'm done, I've done all this. I made it all Nothing compels me. Really? Good for you. Well, I went halfway through the third time. Oh, Jesus. I've got a, I've I've got the DLC bought and downloaded, uh, you know it's ready to go. I really want to play through the DLC, but you know I'm I'm kind of a story nerd, so I really want to make like a perfect playthrough of the main game before I do the DLC because there's story things that I want to experience, uh, you know having a a, a more bespoke crafted story. Uh, it's just that that see I, okay I played Dragon Age Inquisition while I was unemployed. Um, and As did I. Boy, did I have a lot of time to play that game. Uh, and now I, I just don't. <laughs> uh, well, it's like an MMO. It, it hits all the same notes. Like yep. That's, that's yeah. the thing. It's an MMO where you don't play with other people very much. <laughs> also, yeah. guys, it's just we're also getting older. Back in the day when we used to get our first JRPGs like Final Fantasy VI and VII, we were going to school. We had tons mm-hmm. of free time. It was now, so good. <laughs> now we're adults. So good. Uh, yeah, no, but it, it's that that that's what I kind of get the same vibe off of Fallout. And good. but let's stop goobing about this game. Let's yep. let people play it. All right. Um, a couple other quick things on the news before we get into our main topic for the evening. Uh, a little addition to the news last time. Uh, Paradox Interactive has officially <coughs> created a sub company under Paradox to actually handle all the White Wolf properties. Um, And because of that, it is absolutely uh, under their purview that after this round of sort of Kickstarter and games books are launched, that they're probably going to review the contracts and the direction of all the titles that they now own. So expect within probably the next year and a half to see some extreme, potentially extreme revisions of all the White Wolf properties that Paradox Yeah, ends. the the thing that I heard being bandied about, like I heard it's called something called One World of Darkness, mm. which like I don't know exactly what that means. Like it might mean like a merging of the two uh the, of the two, you know, World of Darkness, you know, New World of Darkness and Old World of Darkness, which I don't know how I feel about that because those are two very yeah. different Them's flavors is different. Um, yeah, there's some there's some touchy nuance. Like some of the new stuff I love, some of the old stuff I hate, and uh, I don't think they're gonna play nice with each other. I really, I really don't. I think I, it, it it's a little worrying to hear them talk in that manner. Uh, that sounds like you know, like. Well, that sounds like a streamlined synergy talk. Yeah. That, that sounds like Jack Donaghy is gonna drink a scotch and watch me get fired, sort of talk. <laughs> you know? Oh man. I, I, as much as I've, I've met Mont Cook, uh, he's a, he's a legendary game developer, uh, but he made, he helped write the, uh, the White Wolf D20 game. (laughs) It was so, I was about to ask you if you were about to talk about McWad. Yes. And I, I, I read that book. I went through it. Um, it hurt my feelings. It's a bad game. I'm going to tell you right now. It just doesn't fit well for you. Spoiler for you. Ghost murderers. <laughs> Everyone's <laughs> the way they are because of ghost murderers. Alien ghost murderers. Oh, ooh, all right then. Uh, another bit of news uh, in more of an indie uh, indie side of things. Yep. Um, 
something that's pr- pretty exciting. Uh, there's a, an old game that's sort of swashbuckling, uh, you know, uh, Enlightenment era uh, thing called Seventh Sea. That's uh, it's been passed around from company to company for couple couple handful of years now, yep. and uh, it recently has passed back into the hands of its creator, a man by the name of John Wick, who we've talked about uh, previously, who's been who in the... like Keanu Reeves and punches the crap out of people. No, he really doesn't, uh, but it's actually his name. I really need to see that movie, by the way. I heard it's good. It's, I, I do, too. Dude, dude, it's just fun. It's just, it gets you in the feels at the beginning, and then it's just a roller coaster of death. Afterwards, but, uh, but anyway, yes. So John Wick has the uh, has the rights to Seven C back, and he is uh, using those rights to create a new edition. Yep. Um, and you know, there's been a lot of teased stuff on his Facebook and whatnot about him just going ham at revising it. Like he's 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 serious about making a new edition and making it new and different and and really kind of kicking it in the pants, which is really exciting because Seven C was a really fantastic game. Um, like I said, it's swashbuckling. It's uh, you know based on a uh, pretty uh, meaty world, as far as, oh, I, yeah, as very, far as I've read. Very very meaty. Um, world. He took a lot of like alternate history ideas, not steampunk, but just like the idea of let's take our our Enlightenment age era and then let's tweak it with some fantasy. Yeah, I mean it's 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 a uh, it's not an alternate Earth. It is a uh, it is its own world. I mean yep. it's. Uh, it's it's you know the the it's it's Europe with the the, the serial numbers filed off. Oh, okay, fair. Um, like so, it's 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 different countries, different histories. Uh, it's a completely it's like you know it's it's not a it's not an alternate history. It's it's an alternate world. Um, it, it, it reminded me a lot of actually uh, the writings of Scott Lynch a little bit. Like, oh yeah, just, it just the feelings of it. And that's the gentleman bastards. Oh, such writer. a good series. Yeah, no, that definitely, definitely a lot of same gas there. But I mean, you said it's not steampunk, but it really was kind of steampunk before steampunk was a thing. Mm, um, okay. That kind of like alternate, like historical, but with like technology and magic and and whatnot. It, it kind of cooks with that same gas. Okay. It's really exciting. I, I, I'm I'm eager to uh, to see what's what. Yeah, I think somebody made a post. Somebody who's who's working with it made a post, basically like, "Hey, do you want the?" Yeah, like he's putting out an open like playtest document. Uh, oh, that's cool! And uh, I am very eager to see with that because John Wick has always had. Not only is he a great writer in terms of like setting and, and story, uh, but his mechanics are are nothing else but interesting. Like they might not be the best mechanics in the world, but they're innovative, and you know they they try and do different and new things. Yeah, he always he always wants to push that envelope mechanically. To try to just me- meld like narrative and narrative control with like dice rolling and crunch. Uh, yeah, he- I mean the drama dies system is is something I wholeheartedly agree with. It is a, it, it's kind of a you have a pool of dice that are kind of hanging all the time, and you can can really really influence a scene. Like if something is super important, that's probably where you're going to throw down your di- your extra pool of dice here and there. A lot of systems these days ha- kind of take a note from that and have a uh, something that lends the PC's narrative control for in in some form or fashion for a moment. They sort of just the, the control is wrested from the GM just enough to make sure that the thing that they want to happen happens, but it costs them. Yeah, he he's he's a big fan of that sort of thing. Yep. And so yeah, it's 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 interesting. I'm I'm very glad that it got back in his hands. You know, it, it was a, a kind of his his brain baby, uh, and it's been kicked around. And uh, you know, it got into it. There was a D twenty version of it talking of, talking about things that got D twenty that really shouldn't have. Um, well, and does anyone? Awful. Why did that happen? Like I, I wasn't like paying much attention to the world, like to the to the metaverse of that you know, was because of three uh, was a great revival of Dungeons and Dragons, and they had a, an open the game. OGL, right? Yep, it was the open gaming license. Yeah. Anyone could use the base system to write. So, if you have a system that everyone knows, that everyone likes, quote unquote, that everyone's just aware of, and then you can slap. Any setting onto it, which I kind of I disagree with. Yeah, well, I mean, that's that's the the, the whole. I feel the like whole... there was some some attempt to make an exalted D twenty. I I feel like it was there. Aberrant D twenty, adventure D twenty. Uh yeah no there was I think there was I don't know if there was an official exalted um D twenty plan, 
there was a D20 Trinity Universe series. Yep. That was the worst thing ever made. It, um, and as, of course, the Afro... I mean, I mean, can we just... I'm going to take a step back. Monty Cook's World of Darkness. Literally, yeah. it's just one of the worst things I've ever seen. Like, it's... Yeah. it's like, Big Eye's Small Mouth was a better system than that. Yep. Yes, it was. I, I, I just... I'm sorry, okay, so... That's, that was... Yeah, it wasn't me. Okay, to clarify to everyone listening, the mechanics were not bad. It's just from our perspective, it did not fit the setting well. Oh no, the mechanics were bad. Um, the the okay. Here, here's here's my example of why like Trinity University Twenty was the worst thing ever. Um, so okay, so Abrick, Abrick, the superhero game. Um, if you, in the, ta- in the old version of Aberrant, if you were a, uh, like, you know, magnetic master, like, you could do stuff with magnets and metal, and you could do all sorts of, like, you could lift, like, a hundred tons of, uh, of metal with your mind, and, and, you know, just do ridiculous stuff. In the T20 version, like, if you were the most powerful person in the world, and your power was man- magnetic manipulation, you could lift one ton of metal. Okay. Like it just it just it 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 took like the idea of the setting and just hamstrung it by these really horrible mechanics um, that just didn't fit. It was terrible. Right. Um, but I think what the the bigger point there is that you know that whole experiment of let's just use a generic system and slap any setting on it really absolutely sort of proved the point that setting and system need to be closely intertwined and they need to fit each other. Absolutely 100% agree on that. That's why GURPS, to me, never attracted my attention because Ugh. it's supposed to be generic, but it's so bloated with all the mechanics to make it generic so it can handle every nuance. Well, that is It's like not appealing. Their resolution mechanic, I believe, is three, three dice roll under, right? Like, that's... Is that... Is that uh, it's been so long since I looked at GURPS. I think it's 3d6 roll under. There's only so far you can take that, really. Like, especially when you're tacking on just every which kind of set of mechanics that you can think of from magic, psionics, gun, gun play, ninjas. I mean... Chief force. Yeah, whatever you want to play. It, it, it just... It, it got muddled to the point of just... It wasn't even really a system anymore. Yeah, there's... Yeah, that, that's just that, Jake. All right, let's we may as well be telling a collective story together and just not bother rolling. Uh, uh, before we get on to the main discussion, though, I will say the one game system that I have seen that does actually handles generic fairly well is the Fate system. Um, that's because it's extremely open-ended for how you define things, like skills and attributes and all that, so it ends up being much more flexible than, like, GURPS. It doesn't yeah. weigh itself down. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, so, it's so rules-light that it, I mean... Everyone's got to be on board to play a Fate game, though, mm-hmm. for sure. I mean, everyone, including the storyteller, has to really be ready to just GM Fiat the hell out of stuff. Yep. And speaking of GMing, our discussion for this episode is actually just that. We've already talked about what role-playing is. We've already talked about how, how to get in character, how to be a character. Now we're going to talk about running a game, like... You are the guy who's either got a inspiration in your head, or you're the only one willing to do it amongst your friends. But you oh, are going to run the game. That second one. It's probably the second one. Well, yeah, yeah. You're the only one in the group of friends even willing to uh, to to role play to actually run the game. I mean, yeah. That that's. Uh, I mean, it's it's one thing to play RPG RPGs. Being a storyteller, being a game master, whatever whatever uh, title you want to let, tag onto it. That's that's another thing entirely because it is it is a whole it's a it's a similar set of skills but it's very different experience. So let me let's let's make sure I got the basis covered before we get into this because this is a meaty conversation piece. Um, and we're going to wrap it up hard in twenty minutes. Uh, no, <laughs> no, we aren't. Uh, in a storyteller or game master, as they're commonly called as well, is the person who runs the game. He's the one who is sort of the the embodiment of the world that everyone else is in, where everyone else has one character to consider and think of. Everything else in the world is the GM. They are every conflict and challenge. 
They're the ones Watch who arbitrate. season four, episode two. Just, you'll understand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's pretty accurate. Um, and, I will be everybody you meet. Yeah, and so because of that, uh, it takes a more robust skill set and a very different skill set than just being a player, as Scott mentioned. So I think the first thing that we should probably talk about is just being the storyteller, the one who's telling the story. Uh, I mean, there's a there's a lot that goes into that sort of that basic idea there. Um, you know, uh, you know, you have to be familiar with the world that you're running in. Uh, you have to be either you know you have to be make the decision of how how far away from the the sort of the core setting, you know, the one the thing that's presented in the book, um, you want to go. You need to be cognizant of who your players are, who your players are playing. Um, it's just a, it's a whole, you got, there's a lot of juggling that goes on in being a storyteller because, you know, like you Matt do said. You assess if you're mentally stable enough to have control over your friends. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if, you, you know, that's, that's, I mean, there can be some, some tricky situations where you're, uh, uh, and you, you need to handle that responsibly. It's even more delicate than the player-player relationship. Oh, because, yeah. Because any, anything that happens to, you know, to a player under your, you know, auspice as a GM, well, if they don't like it and they think it's unfair, you guys are you guys are not as good of friends as maybe you used to be. So, well, let's bring it back. I'm, I, all these are very much things that we have to talk about and will talk about. Um, but what I think we need to hit on first is being the storyteller, which I'll define that. The storyteller is the one telling the story. They have the inspiration for why. Just like a plot of a movie, they have a narrative that's going to unfold with the player's interaction. Now, that narrative can change. That story can change over time based on the player's interactions, and most of the time should actually change based on what the players are doing. But I think one of the core things is there's got to be a spark that a storyteller has. There needs to be some reason that they want to run the game and something they want to get across to the players that are witnessing the story. Well, there's also well, there, there's two aspects to this. You could be the guy who has this, this this story inside you that just you feel isn't the right thing to be written on paper or something like that. Or you may just want to run a really fun little battle game with your friends and run it out of a book, which is also a completely valid way to to do stuff because you know what sometimes people don't really want a grand narrative sometimes they just want to roll dice and crush goblin skulls which is a completely valid way to play tabletop games if that's what everyone's on board for yeah absolutely i mean there there, there is a game you know you know capital g game aspect of role playing um where you know it's it's not always about stories it's not always about characters sometimes it's about your touch of fun um, but I think I think the the type of uh, game that you know we we mostly know, well, I mostly enjoy is the one based on story based on character, um, and that's that's really sort of the I think the core of a storyteller's you know toolbox is you know the characters and the people who are playing the game um, because you know the, the, there's I, I always like to go I always like to assume that when I'm running a game um, that you know it doesn't really matter how detailed or how you know robust the world is, or the setting is, or the NPCs in it. Um, there's always something special about the PCs. You know, there's there's a reason why they're the ones who are getting involved in the great and terrible events that are shaping the world and and, and destinies. Because um, there there's a there's a, a thing that sort of gets mentioned and exalted um, that you know creation, the world of exalted, is beset on all sides by terrible dooms, uh, like multiple like. Like eight dooms. dooms. Like eight, eight whole dooms. Um, and, you know, there's there's absolutely no way that anyone could ever avert this many apocalypse. Um, but, uh, and, and the setting sort of assumes that no one is going to unless the PCs do it. Uh, mm-hmm. it, doesn't, it doesn't matter who, you know, Billy Badass named NPC, how badass he is. He could be the greatest hero in the world, but he just doesn't have what it takes to fend off the the demons and the fae and and the ghosts and and the, the all the terrible things that are 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 crashing down on the world 
it's only the PCs that, that have that special mark of destiny who can ever really truly win the day. Um, and I think that's a good thing to, to sort of keep in mind on any game that, you know, the game is about the characters and the players who are playing those characters. It and... doesn't always have to be a world ending scenario. Oh, no, absolutely that's a, that's a pro well, th- this is more leading into that's actually a big problem that oh, that a lot of seasoned tabletop players are probably going to be like, God damn it, I'm tired of saving the world at this point. Like, can we just can I just avert like a famine or something like it would actually be more interesting for me at this point to play in a tabletop game where we as the PCs, we do indeed have the mark of destiny upon us, but it's to do something on like a local scale that isn't just like, well, there's a sword of Damocles just hanging, 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 and it's about to drop. And as I said, maybe averting a war, like maybe stopping yeah. like yeah. a local a local you know crime lord or something. Yeah. But that's usually like early game stuff. Mm-hmm. But sometimes, oh. but it could be the the run of an entire game if someone wanted it to be that long. Uh, Actually, long Ryan, thing. you bring something up very interesting about that. Where Scott, you're talking about something big and grand and grandiose. Where Ryan is talking about something more concise and smaller and more local. Um, that's actually something that I think needs to be talked about because of world building and running a game is what's the size of the scale of the game that you want to play? How much impact do you want the players to have? Um, because all these things are relatively the same in the scope of a story because they're just actions that need to be taken care of, right? Um, so I, I feel that when you are a storyteller... You need to think of scale. Obviously, the setting that's that's key. Uh, we should also think about like uh, and the thing to avoid because Scott also mentioned it is NPCs that do have the power to just kind of right all wrongs and prevent all bad things from happening. That's DSS Machina. That's a bad narrative trope. So yeah. try to avoid that. If there's a character like that in your game. You should kill him in the first session. Like, or the third just, one. That'll make it better. Yeah, cool. that'll, that'll make it hurt more. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Everyone's like, oh, we really like this guy. He's so awesome. He's so cool. Shot in the head. Oh, that's another aspect of being a, a storyteller is being a bastard. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you, role-playing, especially tabletop yeah, role-playing, is all about getting together with your friends and having a good time. Um, but, you know, someone ha- you need to be the bad guy. You know, you, that having, having good, compelling, hateable villains... Um, is so important, and you know, being able to like that, you know, knowing your players is is the way you have them fun. Knowing what's going to get under their skin and make them motivate them to, you know, do the thing that they or their characters might be reluctant to do, or might. Be- I totally agree with that. The as a storyteller, you need to be willing to pull the trigger when the trigger needs to be pulled. Um, so always consider that in your mind. But don't go too far with it. Don't be evil for evil's sake, because the players and their characters will start picking up on that. And they'll start going, well, it's us first, the GM. It's us first, the storyteller. We have to outsmart the, the GM at every turn in order to make sure our plans go flawlessly. Because this should not be, while you have antagonists in the story to the protagonists of the players, out of game, you should not be antagonistic to your players. Well, of course. Um, There's also the make a villain that is just sympathetic enough to where when it comes clutch time, your PCs really have to ask yourself, do they have to die? And that's, that's, it's a balancing act, which actually got pulled on me pretty recently uh, in uh, a game called... uh, I think I may have mentioned Legend of the Wulin, which is a Wuja tabletop mm-hmm. game. We, the GM of that game, somehow convinced us that the can, nine-foot-tall cannibal man with shark teeth and cursed swords was sympathetic enough not to murder him outright after nearly tearing the entire party to shreds by himself. So, oh, Jesus. good on, good on him. Like. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, that's that's definitely a, a definitely a balancing act. Uh, now, now, speaking of like you know alternate uh, alternate modes of play, uh, I I know I know a number of tables that uh, that sort of take that don't be antagonistic thing, um, and and throw it right the hell out the window. Like I, I know of a, of a friend who's who's like 
it wasn't all the time, but his D and D experience was, you know, the play. It was the players versus the DM versus the DM. Uh, like there, there was a very, very much a we're trying to beat each other uh, mentality, and that was fun for them. Um, which, which, you know, that's a, that's a mode of play that's fine as long as everyone's on board for it. Yeah, it, that's I mean, a more it, tactical play play style, which is entirely viable. Um, it's just, again, it comes down to whatever the 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 table, the group of people want to do. Yeah, Ryan, you were going to say something. I saw. I'm sorry. Oh yeah, I was just. I was mostly mostly just mostly just agreeing that it's it. There are there are times when the you know looking direct your GM in the eye directly and giving him you know the two finger salute. <laughs> Is uh, you know it's, it could be fun, especially <laughs> when you when you pull one out on it. D four O was really good for situations like this. Like mm-hmm. it 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 was that game was more war game than it was RPG in a lot of respects, and you could end up pulling out some really ridiculous stuff that would shock and anger a storyteller. <laughs> yep. Yeah. The, the there's there's other games like that. I mean, there's games like Houses of Blood, which we've mentioned before. Uh, can be played in two different modes, uh, um, like explicitly. Uh, there's there's friendly game where everyone's out to have a good time, and then cutthroat game uh, where it's it's all knives all the time. Uh, you know, you, you are you are out for one another's blood, and you know that's that's what everyone has signed on to do. And you know, there's actually like board games like diplomacy is a big one um, that has been known to end friendships. Yep. Uh, because it the you are encouraged to be the biggest, most backstabbingest traitor bastard that you can possibly be, uh, because it's all about little moves and and betrayal is how you get along in the game. And so, yeah, I mean, if if you want to play that sort of game, it's it's not a bad sort of game. It's just one that everyone needs to be on board with. We're going to be mean to each other, um, and being a GM of that sort of game can be really tough. Um, because there's a there's a tendency to you you need to make sure you're not playing any favorites uh, that you're being fair um, because if if everyone's up for blood then you, it's your job to kind of be the referee mm-hmm. um, and make sure that you know if, if we're if we're riding the dice if we're letting you know stats and dice uh, determine how things roll then it's important to be fair. Otherwise, you will cross that line into, you know, being, you know, not a good, not ha- not having a good relationship with the players. Right. I mean, being biased, it, that, Scott's right about that. A GM, a storyteller's job, when not just telling the story, but also adjudicating the story, needs to try to be ambivalent to a lot of what's going on. Uh, that's actually positive and a negative sort of, situation if a player's like i'm gonna do this thing i'm gonna go save these orphans and you're gonna be like you can't be like oh well you go save the orphans because you're doing a good thing it's like no you gotta let him roll dice and he's got to try to fail he may he may burn in that orphanage with those orphans but if he's doing a bad thing you can't be like well let's oh the cops suddenly show up and stop you it's like no you gotta let him do his nasty work because that's part of being a storyteller is allowing the players the freedom to interact with the world as if it was a our world like as in you can do what you want and the only thing that really stops you is the repercussions your own guilt and the repercussions of your actions uh, you, and you know you can't plan for everything i mean over planning will, will will cause you more of a headache than you would like to imagine but then that's where kind of your ability for improvisation comes in more than anything else it's like well he sure did he sure did kill those orphans really have to think about what the what the overall repercussions for that are going to be for him and hopefully it won't require you know an hour's worth of per, of personal time with him in the back room talking about how he's getting the crap kicked out of him in prison right now mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's happened. Yeah, actually, that's a that's a very interesting story. Um, very, I'll try to make this extremely brief. Uh, there was a story, I believe it was John Wick or someone else. Yeah, it was John Wick, and he had a superhero game. And there was one character player that got falsely accused of a crime and was sent to prison, but the player refused 
to stop playing because he knew who the bad guy was and the other player other characters were trying to figure out who framed the guy who was in prison and so the guy showed up for like a year to play his character but all he was was in prison he was just in prison there wasn't anything special going on in prison he was just in his cell waiting for his fellows to to uh break him out no not even break him out get him off as in, like, unmask the bad guy so you can legally I, let him out of jail. I can't agree with that. I think that's the stupidest fucking thing I've ever heard. <laughs> Sorry. It, it's it, a bad. That's Agree, bad, disagree, bad but it's still very interesting. <laughs> it's bad I mean, storytelling and everyone should be ashamed of themselves. Uh, it's, it's a bit more complicated than Matthew's letting on. It's actually a very interesting story. Yep. Uh, it's, it's, it's written up in his, uh, his book Play Dirty, which is sort of GM advice, which... Uh, you know, I, I don't necessarily agree with everything John Wick says about uh, GMing and whatnot. Yep. But uh, the two different there's two volumes of Play Dirty, and they are really interesting at the very least. They they, they have some interesting takes on GMing. Uh, so if, if you are interested in being a GM and you want to kind of kind of see what the unorthodox methods are, I would recommend reading those books. Uh, yep. If you've got a couple game sessions under your belt and you really like the taste of GMing and storytelling, definitely take a look over those books. At least the first one. And give it a give it a read through. Consider it because it's very very good advice. Um, all right, that's pretty cool. So we've got scale, scope, generally how to deal with your players, trying to be a good storyteller while also being sort of a good referee of the world. Um, the next topic on this of sort of being a storyteller and running a game is the logistics. Um, this is going to be me talking for just a moment. Uh, the logistics is what I consider knowing the system, as in if you're playing a game that's out of a book that somebody else wrote, or hell, you even wrote it down yourself, um, knowing the system very well because you as a storyteller are kind of a leader to the players, and they're going to look to you to arbitrate things. And the best way to arbitrate things fairly within the system, because if the players are following the system they're going to expect certain results. Uh, if they roll certain dice and they do certain things, their powers work as they're written in the book. With that being said... Very well should. Yes. With that being said, though, the storyteller always has the ability to throw those rules right out the goddamn window. Because it is their game, and they can do what they want. That doesn't mean it's the right thing to do, or the best thing to do, but it is their prerogative to do and uh, this probably goes more towards players than storytellers but they should respect that I mean but that also doesn't mean you can't argue with your GM at a later date about it just well yeah, this is one of those this is one of those very broad situations where this can be used for good or ill I mean I'm pretty sure everyone on this podcast has run some games and I know damn well that I have ignored a die roll that would have very well iced a player if if it had if mm-hmm. I had adjudicated it as it should have been done. So instead I opted for a much less, you know, heinous way to go about it. And of course I mean you, you shouldn't use it to force the story in a way that you want it to go. That that's really what most people have a problem with when some when the system gets thrown out. Yeah, it's ham handed. Is that, oh well I don't care what my players say they go into jail, you know, it's th- at which point you're putting the game on rails, which is a completely valid way to do it. But everyone really needs to be aware that the game's going to be more of a rails based system yep. when things are, when it's going down. And, I mean, which, which isn't to say that there, that sometimes like even in a more looser, you know, collaborative thing, some, sometimes, sometimes that sort of GM fiat of like things happen this way. Uh, you know uh, th- that that's warranted from time to time uh, because you know sometimes you know you you as a storyteller sort of can know where things need to be going. Um, uh, like essentially, I, I refer to that sort of mode as like sometimes there's box text. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you know you, you sort of enter into sort of top down narrative mode, um, and when done sparingly and when done appropriately, you know, so that you're not like stamping over people's characters and. And you know, uh, you know, dictating their actions or doing something, uh, it, it can add sort of a sense of gravitas of like sometimes, sometimes like you know, when when Godzilla stomps through your town, there's there's really not much that you know, 
you know, your low your low level the cops aren't gonna be able to do it then. If your if your players are playing the cops and Godzilla's in town, um, there there can be a little bit of, of, of need for narrative shit going to, to happen. Also I was gonna mention there being a scale problem here and there, like Exalted being a very good example of that. Like if you are say a mortal in the Exalted universe and you deal with an Exalted in the Exalted universe, you don't matter and your stats don't matter. You can't beat them and you never will. They get to do what they want to you. So that at that point, they're more just an obstacle to avoid than they are a thing to directly throw your mechanics at. Because if you throw your mechanics at them with intent to, to harm them, annoy them, anger them, you've signed on for a bad time. <laughs> uh, I think it's also it's the idea, sort of the box text idea, is also to speed up the game. Oh, definitely. Storytelling, please, I'm going to pull it back a little bit because this, because this topic is extremely broad and it kind of encapsulates a lot of stuff. Storytelling is just that, storytelling. Just like if you're watching a movie, the director and the writer are telling you a story. And there's pacing involved. And there's beats that need to be hit. And also, it needs to be kept interesting enough so that it doesn't get boring. And everyone just like, kind of either lose interest and fall asleep. So the GM, the storyteller, sometimes needs to do box tests to go, okay, and you guys travel for a month. That's it. Oh, that's traveling's the worst. Or, or any should... sort of like that, just going, guys, we're going we're gonna to speed right along, skip this problem, and go right to where the action is, because we're going to go to the next, next set piece and to keep things interesting for everyone involved. I didn't sign up for the Lord of the Rings, is all I'm saying. I didn't feel... I don't, I don't want... The mechanized version of walking a bunch. I don't care about your travel mechanics. Screw your random encounters. I don't. I don't care about any of that. Yep. Like, just can we just move on, please? Yep. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's. Yeah. I. Yeah. For the most part, travel. Travel is a is a story killer. Um, I, I know some games, uh, particularly Exalted, can can in certain settings travel is uh, is can be exciting. Um, uh, like there's a whole there's a whole part of the setting called like the, the wild you know the, the chaotic lands where distance is not measured in like you know miles it's just in, it's 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 measured in stories um, like you, you don't you don't trench through the through the the underbrush for five miles you you go on the adventure that takes you from point A to point B uh, and and that can be interesting but that's some high concept stuff that that you know that's what you're getting yeah kind of about. we'll probably talk about that later as sort of like how to deal with excessive narrative and like how to better pace your game oh game pacing is such I mean yeah, yeah. that's a podcast in of itself yep. for God's sake uh, I I'll put that on the docket. I don't need to know what the engravings on this guy's desk look like. I probably didn't notice that anyway. It yep. should be the name of the it should be the name of the episode. <laughs> uh, yeah. The um. So we've talked about a lot of that being so the logistics, having a system, knowing when to throw it out, knowing when to arbitrate respectfully. Respectfully arbitrate, I think, is key. Um, what else, guys? What else do we need to talk about being a good storyteller? Um, knowing your table. I yeah, mean, I've said it before, but it really you, you can't. I can't stress enough the understanding who your players are as people. Like it can be a little bit difficult if you're if you're like all new with each other and haven't really run games together before. But really, if you've been gaming with some people for like five to eight sessions, you you know their deal and you know what they do. So, and that and that's where you come into the problem of what if you have a hostile player at the table the. The, the poisonous one, the annoying one, the one who doesn't exactly get what you're up to, which is actually th- that one is almost the worst one. Like, but yeah. it, the, the one who, the one who's there to play a different game from everybody else, essentially. Uh, yes. Yeah, that I mean, that's that's the thing. Like, yeah, you, you you put the nail on the head there, Ryan. That knowing your players, knowing knowing where their fun is, um, and like you know what what is going to be. What sort of situation is going to incorporate as many of your players' fun buttons? Um, is it, sort of the that's that's the that's when you you sort of cook with the best uh, ingredients. Uh, is is getting everyone engaged on one one thing um, such that it hits everybody's fun button, as opposed to 
well, I'm going to deal with you for, you know, 15 minutes, and, you know, we're going to deal with your fun, and then I'm going to move on to you, and we're going to deal with your fun. Um, like, that's the heart of, my, in my opinion, good storytelling, is having, a, some, having something going on that everyone can play a part in, that everyone can do their cool thing that they enjoy doing and, and is fun for them. I actually, uh, that, that, that same game where we, you know, I got convinced to let the cannibal murder dude go as a, as a mercy. Uh, we most recently, uh, the way this game has been working is everyone's personal plot comes to the foreground as a chat, as a, a story, but everyone always gets to be involved no matter what's going down. Most recently, uh, my girlfriend Murphy's character was going through a sort of a weird, um, Kung Fu mind battle, like, you know, trying to beat the programming of the terrible empire that, that was placed in her. But we were all, part of it despite it being sort of a dream we just we're still playing our guys having bad things happen to us and helping her in our various ways it was still very much about her character and what she was doing but we all got to be there and be cool for it which was i know in my opinion just a just a great way to handle things as long as everyone gets to feel good about it at the end of the day being being not being in the spotlight at that very moment is fine uh the spotlight is very important to make sure, as Scott said, to hit everyone's fun button. A true masterclass storyteller is someone who can weave everyone's, every character and player's nuances together to create a good, good story for everyone to ride along. Um, it's kind of like surfing a wave in some respects. Um, you got to hit it just right, but if you can do it, it's amazing because everyone will walk from, away from the table of that session going, that was so cool. I want to play more. I don't care that it's one o'clock in the morning. I want to keep playing. Oh my god, I would love to play like over. I haven't. When was the last time any of you played like an eight-hour tabletop session? It has been years. Yeah, I, I badly miss that sometimes. Yeah, um, I like. Uh, I think I've mentioned to, to some some uh, both of you guys. Um, I've got a, a short-run campaign uh, coming up. And I wouldn't mind being that along for long, long sessions. What uh, system did you uh, want to do that? Uh, probably, probably my my homebrew, uh, um, my homebrew system for a pod. That worked. But anyways, uh, let's back on the topic of being a good storyteller. We're almost done. I promise, guys. Yeah. I know we've been talking <laughs> about this for a while, and this is a big subject. So we'll probably come back to this a couple times in in more episodes. This, this is, is a long episode. Yeah, it's going to be a little long, but it's okay. It's going to be like this forever. <laughs> oh, God, no. So, we've talked about the setting, the system, the world building. Um, we were talking about managing players. I think, to sort of cap this off, let's talk about... We have a problem player, guys. How do we deal with them? Um, I mean, there's a lot to be said for when, just, you know, a one-on-one talk with them. That's yeah. that's really where you should always start. Is just don't don't stew about it. Just just talk about it. Mm-hmm. It's... Yeah, in in my youth, and I think a lot of us, a lot a lot of people who play role playing games uh, can sympathize with with what I'm about to, to detail out. You know, you you play with anybody. You know, you you, you know you role playing is is you know a very social thing. You know, getting out, meeting new people. Um, you know, playing with a lot of different people. And, you know, that you, you run into a decent percentage of bad apples doing that. Um, but I found that as I've gotten older and as I've, you know, I have less time for role-playing, um, if if someone's a problem player, like particularly uh, in, in my, you know, if, if I'm running the game and someone's a problem player, do I really don't want to, you know, let him be on my table? He doesn't get on my table. Um, you know, I... Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I like, That's how it is I, these days. Yeah, I don't, I don't miss words. Like, I'm not so hard up to run, you know, whatever, and have, like, X number of players that I'll put up with someone who I know is going to be a problem. Or, like, maybe they're not going to be a problem um, necessarily, but if I have to spend a lot of time and energy keeping them from being a problem, um, yeah, I'm sorry. One of the, one of the big, it's a wonderful article called, like, The Geek Social Fallacies, um, one of them being exclusion is evil. Um, that's a social fallacy. Exclusion is not always evil. Some people don't just don't belong in your house. Some people yeah. suck. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean in... I... go ahead, Ryan. 
Uh, yeah, it's more of a yeah. This is this has been a thing that um, a lot of us in our younger days were not spoiled for choice when it came to the people who sat at the table. These days, I mean, you if you were trying to get together in in this group of people that we are a part of, if you're trying to get a game together. You have your your pick of a, a, a series of very very experienced, very good role players who are probably down for whatever you're down for. You also have a just a giant heaping pile of shit players, and we all know who those people are. So it, it, it yeah. you know, it, it's just how it progresses as you know as we get older and have been role playing together as a group for like ten years. Yeah, it's 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 really you. Like I said, the geek social fallacy of you know, it, it, excluding someone who's who's going to make your your evening a bad time is an evil. You know, it's just you know, play with the people who you know, play with the people who you like, and that's like the number one way of, of dealing with problem players is you know, just don't play the problem players. Yeah, it's be always be respectful. Uh, try not to begin playing with people that you know is going to be bad for the game. Now, you may not know that they're bad. You may have met this guy and said, hey, come on, play the game. That's After true. a couple sessions, you're like, hey, this guy ain't working out. Then just go up to the guy and be respectful. The worst uh, the worst that can happen is he's gonna, like, you're a jerk. I hate you. I'm not going to play your game. He's like, good. That's exactly what I wanted. <laughs> Uh, one of the uh, a problem that come come up like a problem player doesn't always have to be someone who's like a malicious jackhole. Yeah, I mean it can just be someone who the system that you, you are playing in is not the type of system they're used to. They're like you could get someone who has played Dungeons and Dragons all their life, and then you put them in say Legend of the Wulin, Exalted, basically mm. heavy heavy narrative story based games, and I guarantee you they will have a there's an adjustment period there, and I, I've I have actually seen that particular hardship in one of the people at our table, who has only ever played Dungeons and Dragons, is now and is now playing a game where literally everything is how you describe it, and you know it all matters in that regard, and mm-hmm. your die roll is very much based on that, and he had a very hard time adapting. So I guess the question is, when you deal with that player, how much uh, how much leeway do you give them? Um, I again, I always come back to be respectful. If they're honestly giving a full faith effort to learn the system and work with the group, they're not a problem player in my mind. They are a good person just trying to adjust. Now, if they are starting to willfully be ignorant of the system or they are trying to undermine the other player characters because it would be fun or they're actually being much more proactively malicious, then that's an issue in my and then you should step in. Absolutely. I mean, uh, yeah, it, it, you know, yeah, no no one is so vital to your game that you can't, uh, you know, either risk losing them or straight out take them out. Um, it, it's, it, the, role-playing is a social experience, and when you have, when, when anti-social stuff starts to happen... It, you you do yourself a better favor by nipping it in the bud than by by trying to let it work it out and and let it keep happening. And that could even be to the point of dis- dissolving the table uh, for that, that will game happen. and come back. Uh-huh. A game games are ideas and they're good stories. You can always try to reboot that game again at some point in time in the future. You just have to be willing to wait a month or two or yeah. a year. Yeah, it's it. Yep. It's better in the long run because you want everyone wants to have fun, which is actually like one of my last points to make is you're there as the storyteller to tell a good story and to have uh, bring fun and entertainment to your friends at the table, but you're also there to have fun yourself. Oh you're, yeah, if it's if it's misery, then, then you you, know, you need to to, to reevaluate. Uh, like just a, a personal anecdote: Matthew and I ran a vampire game, a vampire war, a ways back. Um, and you know we've been running it for a pretty long time. Yeah, that that went through several iterations. It so went through several iterations, a lot of different efforts to try and keep it, you know, vital and and fun and entertaining. And it just reached a point where, you know, we we had a problem with with getting new people into the game because that, and especially for a lot, uh, yep. new players are the lifeblood of the game because it keeps things interesting. We all just reached a point where, I know, at least for my part. I knew how everybody ticked. I knew exactly how anyone was going to jump whatever I threw out at them. 
um, and it just kind of became boring and rote yeah. uh, running the game, and I just wasn't having any fun, and you know, I know Matthew wasn't having any fun, um, and we, we sort of sat down and made the call that, you know, it's, if this isn't any fun for us, you know, the players might be having fun, but if it's not fun for us, how worth it is it? Yeah, I mean, if we're not having fun, they could be having fun, but if we were having fun, they'd be having even more fun. Exactly. I mean, you know, it's along the lines of, that's, that's actually a, a big thing about being a GM, is um, there's a lot of obligation and there's a lot of responsibility with being a, a GM. Yes. Um, but you know, unless you are, unless you are one of these, like, and, and this is this happens. Like, I know people who get paid to run games, uh, but it's very rare. Unless you're one of those people, this isn't a job. This is it's a labor of love. And if that sort of that obligation, that responsibility starts to become more of a burden to you, then uh, it's worth like you, if you're not getting enough fun out of that burden and responsibility, you know, you you. You ultimately are not obligated to keep, you know, whipping your own back. That's uh, why not... I haven't run a game in seven years, because <laughs> I just recognize that... I mean, that may have been the table that I was working with and the game system that I was in, but, you know, I ended out a few sessions wanting to punch one of my friends in the in the face. Like, one, you know, more than one of them, actually. <laughs> just because of how, like, weird and hostile they were being towards me about it. So, uh, you know, it I... When it comes to tabletop, at least, I'm all-player. LARPing, that's a different story altogether because the, the parameters are so very different and the level of preparation is so different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, at the beginning, I, I, my only suggestions, I guess this would be my closing suggestion because we are running a little late on time, uh, would be that... It's just if, more content. Yeah. If you're running, if you're starting out, take some notes, think about things carefully... Uh, use books, use movies, use television shows to help you sort of inspire you and to keep you motivated towards a good story. It doesn't have to be a complicated story. It doesn't have to be uh, your grand masterpiece of a story. But you should take notes and you should be uh, taken step by step. Later on, when you have a couple sessions or a couple games under your belt, then you can start running without notes and sort of ad-libbing a lot more. And sort of like trust your own instincts in these things, and then you'll have an even better time because prep will be super easy, and then you'll be able to just wow everyone all the time. Yep. Closing comments, yeah. guys. Oh, Keep it off the right. rails if you can help it. That's oh, yeah, that's. Okay. I mean, just to further elucidate on what Matt is saying, honestly, you'll drive yourself insane if you like if you try to force your players to go from point A to point B from and just continue on a straight path that you have set out for them. If your story is so amazing that it, it removes the agency of the players, just write a book, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and, I'll, and I'll make a, a counterpoint to that is, um, you know, don't let your players push you around. Um, you know, there's, there can, you, you know, you, the, the social pressure of, of having all that responsibility and obligation uh, can be a good time, but, you know, when you have something, when you when you know when you have that that knowledge of things need to happen a certain way at a certain time, um, uh, you know as long as you're being fair and ju- and you know just about it, um, not letting your players sort of you know push you around and and sort of affect the game in ways that are not necessarily kosher, uh, like trying to use like social pressure to to, to change things, that's a, that's a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much so. Um, so I think this is where we're going to have to wrap it up. We, we're past the hour mark, and uh, I don't want to keep you guys uh, too long. Uh, you guys have been hearing us ramble and ramble and ramble for a while now. So um, let's close it out. Uh, charming. Shut shut up. That's Yeah. I don't yes. ramble. Okay, <laughs> yes. So uh, we're closing out. Um Guys, we need your feedback. We would love to hear and have topics to talk about uh, on the show. So please go over to polyhedronpodcast at gmail.com. Give us your feedback. Give us your questions and concerns. Maybe we can help you out with an issue you're having when you're running a game. Um, Just 
communicate with us, and we'll have a much better time here on the podcast. Um, as Matthew, always, by what vectors can they download our po- podcast, or yeah. perhaps stream it, or listen to it? Yes, uh, if everything goes right, very shortly after hearing all of this, uh, you should see us up on iTunes. Oh, which you can leave us a five star review, which helps us out a great deal. Uh, you should or be able a one star review, which we will read in and, silly voices and mock, and also probably agree with in a lot of cases. Yeah. <laughs> also, five or one star. That's it. That's the only thing we'll accept. Yeah, five or one. Nothing else. Absolutes. If you give us a three star review, then I'm, I'm finding where you live. Um, you can also go to headcanongames.com all the podcasts should be hosted up there as well that's uh, our main uh, page please feel free to go to the forums there and communicate about the podcast Uh, and hopefully at some point I'm going to have this on Stitcher which is the iTunes of Android machines so we'll see how that goes Um, also you can reach us on Twitter as well my handle is at bioimportance Mine is Divis, uh, at Divis And mine is Arduous, R-J-U-O-U-S. Yes, and with that, uh, one last thing. Uh, if you like this podcast, you liked us hearing us talk about all these great topics, please go over to patreon.com slash polyhedron and become a donate. Uh, oh my god, sorry, I apologize about that slate. A donator today um every little bit of money helps us we want to reach those goals so that we can make the show bigger and better for everyone involved so with that save us donator what save us donator (laughs) you're our only hope all right so with that have a good night guys go have some fun go roll some dice